John chapter 5, verse 13. Let's start there. You'll remember what has just happened is the lame man at the pool of Bethesda has been healed. And as any good religious leadership would want to know, they want to know who healed him. Not so they can congratulate him and thank him so they can kill him. (laughs) You know, um, for breaking the Sabbath, they say, heaven forbid. Who healed on the Sabbath? Well, we could go into a lot of that. Uh, First of all, of course, Jesus didn't break the Sabbath. Jesus kept the law perfectly. Uh, uh, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, in fact, Jesus is our Sabbath. And what they're considering breaking the law, breaking the Sabbath, is actually fence law. Things that the religious leadership had put around the law, so to speak. They put laws and barriers around the law so you couldn't get close enough to the law to break it. You know? It'd be like me saying, if you go out that door, Chad's going to knock you in the head and kill you. But start putting the barriers here when the barrier's there. That's what the Pharisees done with the law all the time. It's called fence law. So, but before we even read that, we should tell you, Jesus told us that man is not for the Sabbath. Sabbath is for the man. So they had a lot of things confused. But the bottom line is, is Jesus healed a man miraculously after 38 years or so. And they're mad about it. And using it for a reason to kill him. Interesting. That will tell you that men love their religion more than they love God all day long. All day long. And religion is deadly. (laughs) religion is deadly John chapter 5 verse 13 says they had just asked him who healed you and the man did not know for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd but afterward Jesus found him in the temple and told him now you are well so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you Man, when I read that, that's one of those things that make me think Jesus wasn't very (laughs) Christ-like. Sin has consequences, is what he's telling him. I've touched you, now stop sinning. Because there's consequences to sin. And there's even more consequences to uh, purposeful, belligerent sin. Then the man went and told the Jewish leader that it was Jesus who had healed him. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working. And so am I. That's quite a statement. This, this, this inflames them because he is literally saying in that statement, I'm God. (laughs) It's me. I'm him. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. And so the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. 
For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his Father, thereby making himself equal with God. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son, of God, the Son, of, the Son can do nothing by himself. King James, if you're reading from there, I'm sure says, verily, verily, I say to you. Or New King James probably says, truly, truly. Anytime Jesus makes that statement, verily, verily, or truly, truly, or most assuredly, whatever translation, it is a, it is a, uh, a he's making a point of, of strong, absolute truth. It's not just truly, I say, or I just say it to, it is truly, truly. Now, that doesn't make much sense to us, but in, 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 in Greek and even in the Hebrew languages, that, that it actually is a building term. It is a, is, is a, if this is true, then truly, 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 truly is, if this is true, it's this much more true. Does that make sense? In the, in the, in the Hebrew you would hear repetitive terms like the one that would come to mind would be holy, holy, holy. And that, would, that is an indication of he's not just holy, he's holier than holy. And he's not just holier than holy, he's holier than that. It was an emphasis. So when Jesus says truly, I say unto you, he is, he is laying down an absolute truth about who he is and what he's there for. He has just said, my father is always working. So Jewish recognized immediately that his claim was divine. And they sought to kill him even the more. Truly, truly, or I tell you the truth, the, the son can do nothing by himself. He only, he does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does also. Now hear me. This is, a, this, is, this is what we're going to get on tonight and some things is to understand that there's two things being spoken about here. Jesus is addressing his divinity and his humanity. That's what he's doing. My father's always working and so am I. I'm, I'm divine. The son knows nothing or does nothing without the father. He, when he talks about sonship, he is speaking to his humanity. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2 real quick. Philippians chapter 2, let's just begin reading in verse 3. Do not, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Do not look out only for your own interests, but take interest in others too. Then verse 5, you must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus had. You're, you might say, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Yes? Though, listen to this, I'm reading New Living for a reason, plain 
plain English. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. We need to understand some things. Some of it you will know. Maybe all of it you will know. That means somebody's done a good job if you know it. Jesus became something. Now that's an interesting statement because he's God. From the y'all are quiet already. We got to get some background noise in this place. It's like a, some, when it gets like a tomb, I can't hardly handle that. <laughs> now, how that you'd have to ask yourself something: How can God become anything? Because He always was. And always will be. And we know from John chapter 1 that, that this word was in the beginning. Jesus. In the beginning was the word. Remember? The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Everything was made by him. Who? The word. And without him nothing was made that was made. Goes on to talk about that in him was light. And then in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says that even here, it says, the Word, who's the Word? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's very important. This is actually we live in a day and age where to, most of us in this room probably understand some of these things, but this is the very thing that is one of the most things under attack today in the so-called church world today, and this what they call the deconstruction movement that is certainly taking the younger generations by storm. You'll hear the claims over and over that Jesus never said he was God. And there was never a claim he was God. That is absolute falsehood. Jesus claimed many times that he was God. The Word declares him God. He declares himself God. God declares him God. God the Father. Paul declares him God. He was God. But he became something. And it's the mystery of the Godhead. How can something or someone be 100% God? He was God. Not, not 
partly God or some kind of God or, or a little bit God. He was God. Everything was created by him, and without him nothing was made that was made. He was the one that in the beginning, when it says, let there be, that it was. You know what that let there be? That's the word. He always has been. He has no beginning and no end. Why? He's God. What did he become? He became several things. He became flesh. A human being. He became the son. Oh, there's even people, there's even theologians that want to argue. He became the son. He was the word. We sing it. He was the word in the beginning. One with God, the Lord most high. We sing it all the time. Your hidden glory in creation. Yeah. Now revealed in you are Christ. He became something. Paul wrote about it. He was God. And he didn't think it too much to hold on to his divinity. He had a purpose. Hear me. He was always divine. Never at any time was he any less than God. He, there's some people that try to say he set aside his divinity. That's not true. He set aside the privileges of his divinity. He set aside the expression of his deity. He never set aside the possession of his deity. That's what Paul is talking about in, in, in Philippians chapter 2. He humbled himself. When did he become the son? At conception. He's the only, what's John 3, 16 say of him? The only begotten son. Luke, I believe, is the gospel that, re, that records the lineage back to, and rec, all the way back to Adam and says that Adam, the son of God. What's the difference? Because he was the only begotten of the father. Adam was not conceived of woman. Not, carry, not carried in a womb. He was handcrafted from the dirt by God himself. And God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Actually, woman was taken out of Adam. He was the son of God, but not begotten. It was in Luke's gospel where you hear the angel come to Mary and tell her that you're going to conceive a son. Supernaturally. Because she says, how would this be? I've known no man. Isaiah had already told us that a virgin will conceive. And he says that the spirit of God will overshadow you. And through the power of God, 
you will conceive a son. He became something. Thank God he became something. He didn't. It's amazing. Sometimes we kind of glaze over thinking, I know, do you really know that? No, I'm asking you, when you slow down and you go, because it's repeated all through the Gospels, it's repeated all through the Epistles, it is a fundamental truth to understand who He is and what He's done. What you, what you need to understand about this, this that He was God, that he, that he set aside the privilege of His deity, that means something because you have to understand that was for you and that was for me. He didn't do that for Himself. He, he had no need of redemption. He's God. But it's even more, more importantly than that, he took on the form of a servant. He took on the form of, of, of flesh for you and I so he could take our place. And so that he could live it out. He could live out this life of, of, as a demonstration for us. Jesus Christ himself is the living demonstration of how we are to live for God. Let me say that again. Jesus Christ is the living demonstration of how you and I are supposed to live for God. This is why in John chapter 5 he begins saying, my father's always working and so am I. And they begin to question him. And he says, I don't, I, I, anything, I don't do anything unless I see my father do it, unless I hear my father do it. I, I don't operate on my own. He's talking about, he said, the son, of, the son of man, that's what he calls himself. He's speaking of his sonship, of his humanity. And nothing here, you hear it right here. Everything that Jesus Christ done on earth, he done it as a man. All of it. He didn't, he didn't, he did not feed 5,000 people out of his divine nature. He did not raise the dead out of his divine nature. He did not open blinded eyes, heal the sick, raise the lame. None of those things. He didn't suffer at a whipping post. In divine strength. He didn't go carry his own cross and his own strength. And he, he did not go and, and, and die in his own strength. Everything that Jesus done on earth as a man, he did it as a man. In obedience to his father. Through the power of of the Holy Spirit. Let's say it again. Everything he done on earth, he done in obedience to his Father. I don't do anything unless I see my Father do it. Unless I hear my Father do it. Everything he done, he done as a human being in obedience to his Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
that was for you and I. It is the model. I don't think you're getting hold of that. What you need to understand is because Jesus did, you can. Absolutely. Because when you walk in obedience to the Father, empowered by the Spirit, which we come through the through we come in through the blood of the Lamb. Through him, with our faith in who he is, what he's done. And when we walk in obedience to, to and when we walk with the object of our faith as who he is and what he's done, then your sin nature has no power over you. It's a good question, and I'm glad you asked it, because it's a perfect place to put it. Because we talked about it Sunday morning. You have a sin nature. You have a sin nature. I have a sin nature. All of us have a sin nature. We're, we're human beings. When you got saved, your sin nature didn't go away. It wasn't cut out of you and thrown away. But sin does not have to have dominion over you. And actually, that's Romans 7. It says, sin shall no longer have dominion over you. It's literally saying the sin nature shall no longer dominate you. When you place your faith, now, let's, let's just, I, I threatened Sunday morning to do it Wednesday night, so I'll do it, or Sunday night, I'll do it here. Anytime, and I'll probably say, say anytime, anytime you begin to try to operate righteously, wholly, out of, out of you, that is what, literally what gives the sin nature the opportunity to rise back up and to trip you up. Because that is when you have put your faith in you and you, and, and you haven't done anything. I can't save me. You can't save me. Doing something good cannot save me. Hmm. Boy, Dean Caldwell said something that blew my mind. I have written it down. I looked at it just again today. In the, back in the garden, remember? It was a tree of the knowledge of evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says you can eat of any tree in the garden. But of the tree in the midst of the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. And the day that you do you will surely die. God never intended us to have the knowledge of good. Look at y'all look at me. It was a tree. It wasn't two trees. One was a tree of knowledge and one was a tree of good. God, God said, hey, eat of that tree of good, the knowledge of good. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of evil. He said, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden, don't eat. In the day that you do, you will surely die. And I'm going to tell you what happened. They, they did have their eyes open to the knowledge of good and evil. Immediately. It says when they, they took a bite, it says immediately their eyes were open. And they knew that they were naked. And ever since that day, it blew my mind when he said it because it's right. Ever since the day that they took the bite of the knowledge of good and evil and their eyes were open, man has been trying to live by his goodness ever since. 
And Paul said it in Romans chapter 7, I know in me dwells no good thing. But somehow, we have it in our mind, and I said we because we all get there sometimes, get to thinking, we're pretty, oh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I hadn't blacked nobody's eye, cussed nobody out, or slashed their tires in three days. It's getting better every day. And you know what? Now, you shouldn't do those things. But none of those things made you right with God, whether you did it or didn't do it. That's not what makes you right with God. You're what makes you right with God is being in Christ Jesus. Oh. Because, see, I don't have any righteousness. See, that's right standing. Righteousness means right standing. That I am right before God. I don't have any. I still don't. Neither do you. There's none righteous. No, not one. You know that my righteousness is what? It's filthy rags. Filthy rags. But I'm righteous. If you're, if you're born again, you're righteous. How? I'll tell you how. Ephesians, I believe it is, tells us that he who knew no sin became sin or the sin offering. That I might become, see, I became something too. When you, when you are born again, you become something. Jesus became something. The Word became something. He became the Son. He became manifest in the flesh. He became a human being to die in my place. He became something. But it gave me the, as many as receive Him, give me the power to become the sons of God. I didn't have the power to become a son of God. It's because of him becoming the son that I now and you now have as many as believe gave he the power to become sons of God. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus that he who knew no sin, Jesus, became the sin offering. By the way, that is a quote also from Isaiah. That I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. My righteousness is by Him, through Him, in Him. It is given to me because of my position, my relationship, my adoption, because of that blood that reconciled me to God, that perfect sinless lamb that was willing to die in my place. And when I follow him, when I live for him, when, when, I, when I understand every minute of every day, hear me, that is so important. There's preachers, preachers and teachers that try to tell you about getting past the cross. There is no getting past the cross. The cross is the entrance to everything. 
That's why Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 2, that I have made up my mind. I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Who He is, what He's done. He's everything. I can, I can, I can, I can do nothing on behalf of God, and God can do nothing in me without Him. He paid that price. What, what it is that causes, and the only thing, somebody should probably say the only thing. And the reason I have you say that, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And there's sometimes there's nothing that will ingrain it in you more than hearing your own voice saying it, agreeing with the Word of God. He is the only thing that saves me. And knowing that it had to be Him, the Son of God, and it had to be crucifixion, it's who He is and what He's done, it's the only thing that makes me righteous. It's the only thing that saves me. It's the only thing that justifies me before God. And it's the only thing that puts down the power of the sin nature in my life. The second the second that I begin depending on something I can do or the church can do or anybody can do or anything can do is the second that the sin nature has the opportunity to pop back up and trip you up. And you know how many times it will do that? Every time. Every time. Because there is no other way. There's no victory in anything else. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's not just how I get to heaven. It's how I live my life. Every day. Every day. Every day. When you think you got this thing down and you, and you can get your eyes off of that, I promise you where you're going to find yourself. On your face. Because there's nothing outside of Him. He is all in all. That's why He done it. I wish we would, I wish me included could have, have a, a, a fresh, brand new, overwhelming revelation of who he is and what he's done. Well, if we could get our mind around that he stepped out of the privilege of a divine nature to be like me, to be like you. To feel, think about the holiness that that is. I'm going to tell you on your best day, on my best day, I think I got it done, I think I'm doing a great job. I can tell you when we stand before a holy God on our best day, we will, we will realize the utter depravity of the human nature, of the sin nature, of who we really are. And the incredible awesomeness of what he's done. And when you, when, you, when you see the holiness of God, 
and the magnificence of who he is. And to think that voluntarily that he set that aside and stepped into this for me, for you. If we, ever, if we could ever have a revelation of, of truly the magnitude of what he done. Knowing. He knew what he was, he knew what his purpose was. For this cause, the Son of Man was made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's what it says. That was his whole purpose for this purpose, this cause, the Son of Man was made manifest. He became flesh that he might destroy the works of the devil. You know what Romans 5, 8 says. It's one of my favorite. How can you not know it? How can you not know it? <laughs> that God commended his love towards us. That while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. He didn't wait on me to get cleaned up because it's impossible. In my depravity, he died on my behalf. What he's addressing in, in John chapter 5, when he, when he says, when he says, my father's always working, so am I. He's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm just like him. But I do nothing lest I see my Father. You know, in this fleshly temple, all through, he talks about, he talks that way all through his earthly ministry. I don't, there's things I don't understand because he's God. That means he knows everything. But he said even things like when they ask him about when the kingdom would be restored or, when, or when, this, when the age would be over, he says, that's only for my father to know. He says, I, he says the angels don't know. He said, the son doesn't know. Now, in his divinity, as the word, he knows. Certainly. In this flesh, he set, he set aside the knowing. Interesting. For us. Remember at Gethsemane? I got to hurt. No, I don't. Remember at Gethsemane? Now you understand that the, the, the Father, the Word, the Holy Spirit, these three are one. They're united in agreement. Never been a board meeting, I always say, in heaven. There's never been anything catch them off guard that we got to meet on this. They're one. Period. End of story. That means they operate singularly as a will. We don't, and let me tell you something. People form denominations over the Godhead. I haven't addressed it here much because I'm not looking to hurt anybody's feelings. But I'm going to tell you, there's nobody going to stand before God and say, were you baptized in Jesus' name or the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? It's not going to happen. 
It's not going to happen, ever. People should stop arguing over nonsense and understand that it's the blood of Jesus that saves me, that bought me, that he commanded us to be baptized. So go do that. But there's not, that, that argument's never going to hold water anywhere. There are things that we don't understand. It is the, the Bible calls it the mystery of the Godhead for a reason because we can't comprehend it. Clearly, Jesus isn't talking to himself all through the New Testament. <laughs> Clearly. And then you come down to a place in Gethsemane where he's about to go and he goes to pray. And when he begins to pray, he's not a, he, he begin, he, there's something interesting. He said, you know what he said in Gethsemane. If there's any other way, let this cut pass for me. The humanity was speaking, believe me. If there's any other way, he knew what he was here for. He knew what he was here for. If there's any other way, let this cut from, pass from me. But nevertheless, listen to what he said. Not my will, but your will be done. That's his humanity talking. That's where he set aside the expression of his deity because in his divine nature they couldn't possibly have a different will because these are one. Oh, I, that's not hard. Follow me. It's not hard. Everything he done here, he done as a man. He did not go to the cross in the strength of his divinity. He went in the, in the, in the lowliness of his humanity. He humbled himself even to the death on the cross. He chose to do it. And he did it as a man. All through his life, he is the picture of how we are supposed to live. And total surrender to the will of God which by the way is worship that is worship that is worship that is worship I just spoil it for myself you got time go listen to Tim Delina preach last Sunday magnificent there's nobody in the world preaching better than Tim Delina I've told you many times that the high, obedience is the highest form of worship. And somehow we've reduced it to instruments and voices and lyrics. So we sing and call that worship. Singing can be a part of worship, but obedience is worship. Perfect worship. Obedience. He showed us perfect worship <laughs> in his willingness to be obedient even to death. A criminal's death. Not just any death. A humiliating death. The lowest form of death. So that we can be alive. 
obedience to the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God. That is, that is why he said, and I'll ask you, do you still believe it? Mag Church, do you still believe it? Jesus said, greater works than these shall you do because I go away. Because then it was going to be the, the, the outpouring of the Spirit of God. Remember, he has been with you, the Spirit of God, but he shall be in you. It's the reason the Old Testament prophets, when the Spirit of God would come, up with, come on them, they could do exploits for God. One minute, Elijah's on Carmel, calling down fire and slaying hundreds of false prophets. The, and the Spirit of God lifts off of his life. And the next minute, he's depressed and wanting to die because Jezebel's after him. He just, he just slew 450 prophets. He just said in 63 words. And he done that just for everybody else to hear it. And God answered by fire because the Spirit of God came on him mightily. Samson, it, go read it. it uh, Samson in, in Judges 14, 15, 16, it would say in the Spirit of the Lord, and the Spirit of God came upon Samson. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. And the Spirit of God came upon Samson. And then one day he rose and shook himself as before and did not even know that the Spirit of God had left him. But you know what he said? You know what? This Jesus who paid the price that I'm talking about now, that his life was a demonstration of, of, of obedience to the will of the Father, empowered by the Spirit, and he done exploits as a human being. And he says, greater works than these shall you do because I go away. He talks, he's talking about the Spirit of God coming. He said, when the Spirit of God comes, he said, he's been with you, he shall be in you. And you know what it said? He said, he was coming now to abide. He was coming. The Spirit wasn't going to come and go. Come upon you and leave. Not on you, in you. And he's going to stay. Take up residence. Be there forever. Because of this, greater works than these shall you do. Do you know that that, that, that was fulfilled at the beginning, that fulfilled immediately? Do you know that? When the Spirit of God was poured out on the day of Pentecost, what Jesus said about greater works than these, because I'm going away, the Comforter's coming, and because I go away, greater works than these shall you do, because I'm going away. It was fulfilled immediately. On the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God was poured out, and Peter stood and began to preach that this is that which is spoken of by the prophet Joel and goes down to that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And in an instant, the first day, 3,000 people changed, that became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Instantly, the first day, the first sermon, the first meeting, 3,000 people got saved. It had never happened before. It was greater works than he did, that Peter did, First day, I don't think you understand. Second day, he continues, 5,000 people the second day. It had never happened before. 
Do you know why? Because the Spirit of God came. The same Spirit that came upon Jesus that every time he done what his Father did, that the power of the Spirit would work through him and the miracles would take place. It makes me want to ask, do you believe this? No, really. Huh. Was it in the King James that just a few weeks ago that it caused me to preach? Believest thou this? <laughs> because I'm going to tell you, if you don't believe it, it can't happen. It can't happen. It can't happen. Everywhere Jesus went that he couldn't do exploits, you know what it was? You know what he'd say? They'd say, why couldn't we? Because of your unbelief. Y'all are too quiet. I'll go ahead and say it again. I'm going to say it until y'all get sick of hearing it and I get sick of saying it and I'm going to say it until we see it. Because I'm going to mark my words. We're living in the last and the closing moments of time. I believe that with every fiber of my being. And there's one thing I know that we have a generation that has not seen the power of God. Even to the extent that you've seen it and that I've seen it, that you've seen it. And I grew up seeing the power of God. I'm not longing for the old days at Mammoth's church. That's behind me. I'm not longing for the heyday at Van Buren Assembly of God. I, though the, you remember what it used to say on the wall back in the day? It said, though the past be glorious, the best is yet to come. I'm not looking for Brother Clendenin's heyday. Or Billy Graham's heyday. Or Brother Swaggart's heyday. We have a generation that's crying mayday and they have not seen the power of God move in this generation and there is no way, there is no way that he is going to leave them out. There is no way it's going to happen. The scoffers can scoff. The doubters can doubt. And they're going to do exactly what his own people done. He's going to be right in the middle of them and they're going to miss it. Maybe even attribute his miracles and his work to the work of the devil. That's what they did. This generation will see a move of God. They will. And that means that everything he ever promised, he'll do it. I have, I, I'm going to know, you know what, I, I heard a preacher, uh, Lauren Livingston the other day, he said, I got a card in my pocket that lets me meddle, so I'm just going to meddle. I don't have much patience anymore at all for cessationist theology. 
that says God doesn't do that anymore. I don't have any patience for it. Because there's nothing in the scripture that says anything of the sort. And you know, if, he's, if it's Jesus Christ, it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he's the Lord our God and I never change, then somebody is a liar. Somebody is missing it. Because if, he, if Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then Jesus Christ is still the healer. And he is still the baptizer. That he is still the soon coming king. That he, he, if he is everything that he ever was, that, that he still is a miracle working savior. If God never changes, the same God that parted Red Seas in the Old Testament, that rained down fire on Mount Carmel, they caused confusion in the camp and the enemy would destroy their self. The same guy that shut the mouths of lions that could propel a rock out of a boy's slingshot and to sink it into the forehead of a giant is the same, the, the same God that could walk by a pool on the Sabbath day and says, Take up your bed and walk. After the, after the resurrection, after the day of Pentecost, the same one that can come by and say, and, the, and, and a man, the beggar that's been at the gate beautiful all this time, and he says, and Peter says, look on us. And it says, the man looked at them expecting to receive. Oh, you know what? I don't think the man was expecting to receive what he got. But the fact of the matter is, as he looked up expecting to receive something. And when he did, Peter said to him, I don't have any money. But what I have, I'll give you. I told you today in my office, Jeff, that there's things that we got to understand. We can't give what we don't have. There's nothing. There, it doesn't matter if it's money. It doesn't matter if it's knowledge. It doesn't matter if it's anointing. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is. If you don't have it, you can't give it. Peter couldn't have gave him money for McDonald's that day because he didn't have it. He says, silver and gold, I don't have any. But what I do have, I'll give you. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk and it's the Bible says that immediately that his feet and ankle bones received strength and he jumped up and ran through the temple courtyard leaping and whirling and praising God that's what he did that's what he did that's what he did Peter's locked up between the guards and the angel walks in and walks him out through iron doors they're in a prayer meeting praying for Peter to get out. Y'all remember? It's in Acts. <laughs> Peter's locked up. They're like, what are we going to do? Pete's got himself arrested again. They're going to get tired of him. They, this time they ain't going to let him out. They've got him locked down between two guards in the inner prison. And they're praying for him in a prayer meeting. All locked in. And while they're praying, the angel walks in, turns him loose, says, she should be quiet, walks him out through the garden, walks him out through the door, takes him all the way up to the door where they're praying. They, he knocks on the door. They said, who is it? He said, it's Pete. They said, it must be a ghost. Yeah. 
They're praying for his release and then they're shocked when he's there standing at the door. Paul's more long-winded than your preacher. He's preaching about midnight. There's a dork sitting up in the window two or three stories up and he, he gets to go in so long that he falls asleep, falls out the window, falls down there and kills him. And Paul said, this is not going to look good on the resume. This is not going to get me booked for meetings. I got to do something. So he runs down there, lays that stretch out across his body, gets in his face and raises him up. And then some people try to teach you today that that was the apostolic age and it was to get the church started and they needed God more than we need God. Did they, had they lived today? Did they miss the part about that he was no respecter of persons, that what he does for one he'll do for another? Did they miss that part? Did they miss the part that talks about that he's the same always? He, he, he hadn't retired. He had, the greatest miracle he could do in a person is bring them out of dar- death into life, darkness into light. Forgive their sin as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered from them again. To translate them into a, a, a new kingdom, adopt them into his own family, make them an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. We believe he can save people from an eternal hell, but, he doesn't, that, but that he doesn't do miracles anymore. Come on. You're never going to like it here if, you, if, you, if, you go, if you've given up on God. Because I'm going to challenge you every service. Because it's what the Word says. I'll tell you again. The second that I quit believing what this book says is the second I go somewhere and, get, and make more money and I leave y'all with it. Because, because if this isn't true then we all might as well go make as much as we can, live life until we die, and don't worry about it. But the fact of the matter is, is this book is true. This book is true. And it's for more than, it's for more than not going to hell. It's for living. It's for, more, it's for more than just getting by. It's for abundant life. It's for more than just barely making it from Sunday to Wednesday and Wednesday to Sunday. And there's some people that can't make it to either one of those. Sometimes I need, I need to start doing like memes before service because I get tickled. I get mad, I get laughing, I get to all of it. You know, I, I still, my, one of my favorite sets of memes, I've, I've never got over it. Y'all know the lady that she's screaming but has the cat? You know what I'm talking about? The, the, the blonde lady screaming over the salad but the white cat's beside her. You know what I'm talking about? She says, I'm going to die for Jesus. He said, you can't make it to church when it's raining. (laughs) That's funny. You know why it's funny? You know what the the best comedy in the world is? You know why it's funny? Because it's true. Because it's true. Do you believe it? Man, I, I read two verses. I meant to read more than that. Are you? Hmm. I, I, I just. This is just how I am. You know, when something drops on me, I just drop it on you. 
If you don't believe this stuff, it's just fairy tales. And if it's just fairy tales, there's better stories than this. And there's better storytellers than I am. If you don't believe it, then why? I'm not, I'm not, I'm just, I'm I'm, I'm challenging us. If we don't believe it, then why are we here? Because, man, if Jesus is not a healer, he's not a savior. He either is or he isn't. If he's not still the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, then he's nothing. Because that's what he is. There's things that bother me. And, and I understand. People think. We're mixed up in the church. Because we think the church's job. Always is, is to edify. And to lift up all the time. For people to leave encouraged. No the church's job. The, 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 the pulpit's job. Is to preach the word. The pulpit's job. Is to preach the whole counsel of God. And it's not always. Raindrops and lollipops. In fact, we don't live in a raindrop and lollipop age right now. We live in, you go, you go read the prophets. Go read about John the Baptist. Go read old Paul. Go read old Jude. Go, you know, that's New Testament, just in case you're wondering what I'm giving, getting at. They gave instructions on the day that this is. Paul told us in his second letter to Timothy about how this day was going to look at. And he said that there are going to be people that had a form of godliness but denied the power thereof. There are going to be people that are always ever increasing in knowledge but never come. They're always learning but never coming to the knowledge of truth. And all this. And he says, you know what Paul said? Have a get together and a, and a, and a eat next week and see if y'all can get them into the community. No. He said from such run. That's what he said. From such, from this kind of person, run. Like how you shout. Nobody likes it. We have become so scripturally illiterate. That we've we've seen. We've, we, we bought too many books with preachers that have teeth that look like a piano keyboard telling us about your best life now. When if this is the best life now, if your best life is now, you're in trouble. I got news for you. If your best life is now, you're in trouble. Because in this, if in this life only I have hope, I would be of all men most miserable. They say, I count everything here as temporary. Loss. A dung pile for that which is to come. If your best life is now, we're in trouble. (laughs) When we get back to this, and I am running as hard as I can to this. And I am teaching and preaching as hard as I can to this it's who I am 
It's what I've been called to do. It's what, it's what the pulpit's been called to do. When we get back to it, when we, when we begin to know what he said, to love what he loves, and to hate what he hates, then and only then will the greater works than these shall you do come into play. Because you know what's going to happen then? It's then and only then that people are beginning to see the Father and do what he... What did you... This is the will of God. Can we all agree that this is the will of God? His word is his will and his will is his word. When we... What do you think... What I see my Father do. What I hear my Father do. That's all I'm going to do. When we get back in alignment with his word... It will be no test or strain for him to do then now what he did then. Didn't get very far. The mark of revivals. The mark of the apostolic ministry, the new covenant ministry, whatever you want to call it, is a call to repentance. Always. It's always a call to repentance. It's always a call to holiness. It's always a call back to the word. To word. It's always a call to separate from this world. To die to things. To put stuff behind you. And some things I say, I admittedly, because of today's weenie preaching, seems tough. But if somebody doesn't tell you to get over yourself, we have a self-driven theology today. Self-esteem and self-image. and self. God wants you to die to yourself. You are called to die to that junk. I'll tell you what that is. It's idolatry. It's self-worship. You will never find one. Boy, this is, ooh, ooh. You may, you may have to help me fight my way out of here, Whitney. If I got anybody helping me fight my way out, I want it to be Whitney. I believe in her. Because I, I believe her and Joe Sanchez can get me to the car. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> self-worship you will not find one time where the Bible addresses your self-esteem not once no not one time because you know why it's not about you it's about him it's not about him Oh, I want to go on. I'm not sure people can handle it. It's, it's a sly deception. It sounds really, really good and really religious and really caring and really understanding. And you know what it is? It's a really big pile of dung that's unscriptural. God, he asked you to, die, to deny yourself. Take up your cross. That is the instrument of death. 
and follow him. What did I just read to you in Philippians chapter 2? He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He said he didn't consider it robbery to be considered equal with God. But he stepped aside. He stepped into humanity. He lowered himself. He humbled himself into the form of a bondservant. Does that sound like he was worried about his self-image? Does that sound like he was worried about, I mean, what could be more degrading and, and, and against your self-esteem than to be the, the king of glory and to step in to being beat naked before the crowds to enter your life and then nailing you to a tree and raising you up, stripped. We always see the pretty little purple loincloth and, and the little trickle of blood. No, he was beat to a pulp and naked as a jaybird and raised up before the crowds as they mocked him and jeered him and spit at him and gave him rotten wine and plucked his beard and struck him in the face and said, prophesy, king, prophesy, king. Does that sound like that he came to deal with our image? He came for us to die to that junk. It's idolatry. You know what? If he had put it in the JRV New Living Translation, he would say, get over yourself. And look to me. Looking who? To Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. I'm not trying to be hard. People are so offended that they don't, can't even hear the gospel anymore. It offends their little sensibilities. And all the while, they're going to miss God and, all, and everything he has because they got the feelings hurt. Because, you know what, the thing about it, it didn't even write the book. It's to be repented of, not to be celebrated. I've lived long enough to see the difference. I grew up under people that preached white hot. Forget about red hot. <laughs> White hot. Under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And you know what the result of? What? It was the conviction that caused you to want to repent. Now, the cry of the church was I, was, I was convicted of my sin, of my shortcoming. Now the cry of the church is I'm offended. Jesus himself said it. They said, how? The disciples in Matthew 24 said, how will we know when this time that you're talking about has come? He said, let no man deceive you. He said, men shall be offended. Do you know how precise he is? He knew exactly what this society was going to look like right now. Let nobody deceive you. Men will be offended. You know what they're offended at? Him. They'll be offended for my sake. Do you know who he is? He is the rock of offense. 
That's one of his titles. That's one of his descriptions. Jesus himself, the one that we were shouting about, his humanity that took our place earlier, that gives us victory. It says, they'll be offended for my sake. He is, he is the rock of offense. He said he is, he is the chief cornerstone, the one that the builders rejected, that has become, he is, he is the, 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 the stone of stumbling. You know what people are tripping over? They're tripping over Jesus and his word. You know what that stumbling stone, that stumbling me, the stum- stumbling and in the word of God, offense, they're the same word. You know, like when Jesus says, anyone that causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better that they were never born, that they had a millstone around their neck and, fall, and throw them to the depths of the sea. That, that word is literally the same as he who offends one of these little ones that causes them to stumble, it would be better. Same word. We're tripping over Jesus. So-called believers, so-called church people, we're stumbling over what he's asked of us. They didn't crucify him because he loved everybody. They crucified him because he challenged all of their religious thinking. He broke all of their religious rules. He was God every day of the week, every moment of the day. They crucified him because of just who he was. And it challenged who they were. And the world is not so different today than it was then. I think it was Leonard Ravenhill said, if Jesus preached the gospel that we preach today, they would have never crucified him. Think of that. If Jesus preached then what we preach today, they would have never crucified him. Because it's a completely unoffensive, non-abrasive, non-challenging, doesn't require anything of you, gospel that's not this book this book asks us to die this book asks us to radically obey worship did I hear that worship worship is not that you like the song today worship is that you hear the word of God and you obey it stand with me all over this house may preach that soon I used to use it more. I'll go back to it because I was reminded of it hearing it preached this week. There's an old technique called, it's called the law of first mention. Law of first mention. What that is, is literally the first place that something's mentioned in the Bible. That's where, that's where the word lays, lays, the, lays the foundation and the cornerstone of that doctrine. And you build on it. Law of first mention. Do you know what the very first mention of worship in the word of God is? When God came to Abraham and says, give me Isaac, lay him down. First mention of worship is, I want your son. Says, and he took the things to go worship God. And we think it's music. No, it's radical obedience. 
It's hearing what God says and saying, yes, I'll do it. Father, help us. Open. Let our hearts receive your word. Let it, cha- let it challenge us to the core. Let it challenge me to my core, even as the minister. Let it radically challenge me. God, we want to see your exploits. Lord, we've got to see, we've got to see a change, a breakthrough, a revival, a whatever you want to call it in our students, in our young people, in our children. We've got to see it or we lose them. We've got to. God, let us take it to heart. Let, let a burning conviction hit our soul. Let a, let a burden for where we're at get hold of us as a church, as a people, as families, as leaders, as moms, as dads, as, as husbands, as wives, as parents. Lord, there, there, there is no such thing as a casual Christian. There's no such thing. It doesn't exist. Lord, call us back to your word. Lead us by your spirit. Lord, let faith arise. Let faith arise in the heart of your people. Let us come to the place where if your word says it, we believe it. End of story, period. And let us walk it out. Let us understand that the preaching of the word is to exhort, convince, and rebuke. And we need it all. And the condition of our own heart determines whether it encourages, whether it reproves, or whether it rebukes. But Lord, let your word, my prayer tonight is let your word do its work by the power of your spirit. Let your word do its work by the power of the spirit. If we leave unchanged, we have failed and we have wasted our time. But Lord, move in your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.